This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He played. Oh, he's the one. Pussy up the right sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Hello and welcome to the Republic of Football Sunday Recap Edition. I'm your host, the college editor, Ishmael Johnson, here joined via Zoom by Mike Craven. Mike, what's up, man? Back on the Sunday edition. Back on the Sunday edition, uh, it was in McLean Stadium yesterday. It was a it was a good atmosphere. So, guys, we're already a quarter of the way or a third of the way through uh, this college Bruh. football season. UTEP's five games Bruh. into this thing; it goes fast. Yeah, I That's mean, nuts. we're we're going to get to some conclusions that we're kind of coming to with some of these teams, and one in especially one in particular that was uh, on hand in McLean Stadium. Uh, Mallory, as well, Mallory, how you doing? I'm doing well. I. Uh... I got to rest a little bit yesterday. I quad boxed college football pretty much all day, so I can't complain. I'm pretty happy and rested. So, I was about to say I, I stayed home uh, this past week. I've been a little bit all over, and I decided to be like kind of a central hub for people if they needed photos on their stories. Yeah. Uh, just, and I was quad boxing it. I busted out my iPad for the first time uh, in like two years. Oh, I that rocks. it off. And just, like, <laughs> I was like, you know what? Let me just put that right there and. At UTSA and uh, the skillet going on, and eventually you turn UTSA off. And <laughs> yeah, it didn't that. take long. <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, let's start with some of the games of the week. For those of you that uh, unfamiliar with this this episode, we go through our games of the week, and then we go reverse powerful order, and I don't want to say rapid succession, but a little bit quicker uh, succession. Okay, so let's start with the one that uh, nobody was at here. It was uh, the Iron Skillet. Carter was at this one, but. Regardless, probably the most, in our opinion, probably the most high-profile game, um, with the, with the fact that this these are winding down. You know, next year is supposed to be the last one of these, uh, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, TCU thirty-four, SMU seventeen. Uh, I mean, look, I think this one for me, I think this says a lot more about TCU being okay. Then SMU, I think SMU maybe isn't a New Year's Six team that I maybe figured, uh, which I think is okay. I still think they're very much one of the frontrunners in the AAC, which is perfectly fine. Um, but I think for me, mostly, I came away thinking that TCU might just be fine after everybody kind of thought the the sky was falling. Uh, the offense isn't going to be as explosive as last year when you lose guys like Max Duggan and Quentin Johnston and um, uh, Kendra Miller, but the offense, I think, does what it can do. I think Chandler Morris played his best game so far. Um, they were able to run the ball pretty well, and and again, this is the SMU defense that we thought, and I think I, I think other most other more often than not will be very good this year. And they were able to kind of methodically not do anything too flashy and get the job done. So I, I don't know. I take this more as a positive for TCU saying, you know what? Week one was week one. Colorado is a kind of a, a lightning storm right now. Obviously, they got kind of uh, brought down to earth a little bit this week. But I think Colorado is a potential 7-8 win team who kind of caught TCU off guard. 
everything else since that game, I think, has pointed in the direction of the Frogs probably being towards the top of the Big 12. For sure. I, I think uh, it was a good performance, especially from Chandler Morris. You know, we need to remember that was his fifth start since mm-hmm. 2021. You know, like he just yeah. hadn't played a lot of football. He, he, you know, was supposed to be the starting quarterback last year, then got injured, you know, wasn't the starting quarterback back in 2021, played a couple games late in the year. So, you know, transferred from Oklahoma after not playing much. So just hadn't played a ton of football since high school. You can tell he's starting to get more game reps, build a little bit with Kendall Bryles. It looked like they were in a better sink, some better play calls. Uh, Amani Bailey got going in the second half, and, and that really is what gives this TCU offense the balance that it needs. You know, this isn't going to be throw 400 yards a game, old school air raid type offense stuff, you know, like what we think of Art Bryles or Sonny Dykes back in the day. It's going to look more like last year where they're going to try to run the football and wear teams down and be balanced and keep it off uh, a Chandler to do everything. And so when Bailey's played well, TCU's played well, he played well in the second half and they kind of kind of ran away from that one. Um, my concern for TCU still remains the run defense. You could tell SMU's game plan sure. was we're going to line up and we're going to physical with TCU. And when a G5 team feels that that is the game plan going against the P5 team, that probably tells you something that they saw on tape. SMU ran the ball 26 times in the first half. They ran the ball 39 times in the game and they were losing most of it. And they weren't, they didn't get stopped. They were moving down yeah. the field and kind of stopped themselves in the red zone, had a couple of mistakes. It was kind of a weird game. Like TCU was not clean at all, or SMU was not clean at all. Mm-hmm. They had a couple of procedural penalties. At one point, they had two guys with the same number on a kickoff play. They used uh, all three timeouts in the first quarter of, of the game. And so, uh, to me, TCU kind of survived SMU's mistakes and then just outlasted them. But they're 3-0. and Since that loss to Colorado, I kind of throw that one away because they didn't have any tape on Colorado. They had no idea. None of us had any idea what Colorado was going to be. Um, they've rebounded from that. I think that shows a sign of maturity inside of the locker room. And, you know, these are lose-lose situations for TCU. That's why they're stopping this this rivalry, in their opinion, right, is, you know, you win this game and you're supposed to, you lose this game, and it's, you know, Armageddon, World War, you know, like it, it's a big deal. And so, um, you know, they did what they were supposed to do. They've taken care of business the last three weeks, and, and I do think that they're one of the teams still poised to compete in the Big 12. Yeah, I think that SMU, kind of looking more at SMU going forward, you know, does this game, I don't want to say adjust expectations. I feel, like I said, I still think this is a top one of the top teams in the AAC, especially with UTSA being kind of hobbled as they are, um, Tulane as well being as hobbled as they look uh, at the quarterback position. But does this kind of reset in terms of like, we kind of were hoping that this would be kind of a breakout New Year's Six type of season for them. Does this game, does this game, do you think, kind of readjust those expectations maybe? You know, maybe because of the way that the offense has looked through the four, first four weeks. I mean, I, I think we always assumed they'd be two and two right now. I mean, they, they lost sure. on the road to Oklahoma, on the road to TCU. Those are two you know, top 25 teams that are, that are probably the top three or four best teams in the, in the Big 12. So I don't think there's much shame. Uh, and that they they had chances against TCU. It was 14-11 in the fourth quarter against Oklahoma. The thing that surprised mm-hmm. me most about SMU is the Preston Stone passing offense. I, mm-hmm. I think we just yeah. assumed, you know, they would replace Rasheed Rice. They would replace Tanner Mordecai. And, and the passing offense would be everything that we we think of under Rhett Lashley. And it, it just hasn't been. It was about 50% yesterday. They're not as explosive as they normally are. And so... Uh, it does seem like they're going to have to be more balanced and run the football more than, than maybe we've seen from a from a SMU offense in a long time because I, I don't think that they're going to be 
you know, the the score 80 points and and throw for nine touchdowns in a game offense that they were last year at times. Yeah. Yeah. Preston Stone, 16 at 35, 258 through the air, two picks. Um, they do get a nice, a very nice, we, we'll get into the schedule, obviously I'm later in the season, but they do get a really nice on-ramp into the AAC, right? They get Charlotte this week. They get East Carolina, who's one and three. They get, um, let me see, where is it? They get Temple and they get Tulsa. Right, so that's a very nice momentum swing into late October, early November. Then they get Rice, North Texas, uh, Memphis, and then Navy to close out the year. So, again, that's potentially a four-game. I mean, they'll be favored in all those games, but regardless, that's a really, really favorable four-game stretch to enter the conference. So uh, we'll see for them going forward. TCU opens up or uh, continues a Big 12 no, sorry. Opens up Big Twelve play with, um, or no, they're sorry. They, they play Houston, Houston, yeah. Um, West Virginia next week is what I'm trying to say. Uh, so they'll continue Big Twelve play there. Uh, Craven, let's get to the one you were at. Texas thirty-eight, Baylor six. Um, look, we can talk about Texas in a bit. I want to talk about Baylor. <laughs> um, <laughs> this team is bad. <laughs> um, what? concerns you more because everybody's going to look at the quarterback situation i want to look at the line situation um and the fact that texas was kind of able to play with its food for a long time and it did not matter because it did not seem like baylor was going to be in the game like tech it took a while for texas really to put the foot on the gas but even then i was like i there's no way baylor gets in this game i don't i don't know so you know, I'm kind of doing that Texas tour and I'm trying to get a better feel for like game day atmospheres. I used to be the sports writer who would get there two hours early and walk directly to the press box, sit in the press box for the whole game, go sure. to the post game press guy. <laughs> like I was that writer. So I've tried yeah. to get around more. So I, long story short, I went down on the field to watch the Baylor line. I'd never been down there when all those freshmen do mm-hmm. their 120 yard sprint across the field. I, I wanted to see it. Then nobody told me I needed to go back upstairs. So I just kind of stayed down there on the sideline and watched the first series. And they kick off to Baylor, and I just happened to be in that end zone. Within three plays, I knew the game's over. Uh, because they cannot <laughs> block Texas. Like, there there was no chance that Baylor was yeah. going to block Texas at all. And that was clear 60 seconds into the, into the football game. Some of that <laughs> is Texas' defensive line is insanely good. And we'll talk about that in yeah. a second. Uh, but Baylor's supposed to be good on the offensive line and the defensive line. Like that, that's how Baylor is supposed to win football games. They're not going to be the 40 point explosive offense. They need to win with defense. They need to win with special teams. And then they need to outlast and like bully people up front. And they are not that. Um, they have slipped away from that over the last uh, couple of years. RJ Martinez was the team's leading rusher. He was the quarterback who came in late in the game and ran the ball three times. Um, you know, so. You're not going to do much when your defense isn't good. Your quarterback is hurt, and you can't run the football, folks. That's that's about it. Like that, there's not there's yeah. not, much not much else, else you can, can do. do. The best play for Baylor was to punt the ball to Texas in case Texas muffed it twice, and they could recover <laughs> it and get into field position to kick field goals. Like that really was the best play for Baylor yesterday was to punt the football. Um, they're one and three. They haven't beaten an FBS team since last October. It's over 320 mm-hmm. days since they beat an FBS team. Long Island is the only win in the last nine. They're on an eight-game losing streak against FBS teams. Um, it's just not It's not good. The vibes are not good. The crowd, the crowd was excellent. Shout out, by the way, to the students and to the alumni, even to the Texas fans that traveled. Like, that was – I've gone to four games now. 
that was the best atmosphere by far. Like that place was hopping mm. before the game. They wanted any reason to make that thing fun. And Baylor just couldn't deliver. Yeah. I think immediately, I think this was on the play on, on the series we were talking about. Uh, it was like third and 15 and Sawyer Robertson's back there and they drops back, takes three steps, sees, I, I don't know who it was, Tavondrick Sweat or something, and do, just doesn't move. He just ducks. He's just like, I can't. Like, he's he's not a mobile quarterback. He sees the pocket collapsing. He doesn't try to step up. He just ducks. And it was like, he noticeably ducks. Like, it's like a full second before the guy gets to him. He just sees, like, him shedding the block, and he's like, this is going to end one way. And just like, and I was like, ah, okay. And yeah, he's got it. He's is... got an ankle problem. They, You know, I was told before the game he was about 60%, and there were some rumors mm-hmm. that RJ Martinez was going to play the whole time anyway because he was yeah. so immobile. And so um, that's why the run game is so important. And that that is what, you know, like, again, I, I talk about this all the time. We look yeah. at that, we think of that 2021 team as this great Baylor team, and they were. They won 12 games in a Sugar Bowl and a Big 12 championship, but they weren't scoring over 30 points. Like they weren't doing it with offense. They were winning those games right. like 21 to 17 and, and stuff like that. Like they didn't score over 30 uh, the, the the last half of the season and, and went undefeated. And so, um, or I guess they only lost that that TCU game where TCU scored 30 points, and that's what that kind of what beat them. So they were never an explosive offense. The thing that they've lost is the ability to control the game with the run game. That wide zone was killing people in 2021. And now mm-hmm. uh, it doesn't seem to have any real, real success. And then just the defense has fallen off the cliff. I mean, that was one of the best defenses in the nation. And now they are absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, looking back, I'm literally going to watch the sack right now. Uh, Byron Murphy was the guy and they rushed three and Byron Murphy beat a double team and the edge rusher one on one arm stiff on the right tackle. And, collapse the pocket so um, i can yeah. just imagine him like uh we're in the nfl and like aaron darnold was coming out i can't remember who he was like coming after and they caught the hot, hot mic where he's like oh no yeah. like, oh, yeah. gino's <laughs> gino because yeah. that too byron I, aaron donald is is not somebody i'm going to compare byron murphy to but i the two i'm comparing sure. byron murphy to like that dude right. is an absolute monster man an absolute 100%. monster baylor, baylor couldn't do anything with that Nope. Uh, so yeah, I mean, uh, somebody whose uh, stock is definitely taking a hit is Jeff Grimes, because um, he brought in some of his guys from from BYU, the Barringtons, um, to help sure up that offensive line. They're both starting, and it kind of doesn't matter. Um, let's talk a little bit about Texas in this one. I mean, is this a team that's just straight up not going to be tested until they play Oklahoma or Kansas State? Like. <laughs> I honestly feel like the performance yesterday was more impressive to me than the Alabama one. I I I I never doubted Texas's ability to get up to play Alabama and, and to to play with like the best teams on their schedule. My concern for Texas sure. is always they're playing with their food, right? Like they're not taking yeah. these type of games seriously to not get up for these road games that maybe don't feel as important. It probably helped because they knew kind of the hostility they were going to enter there and, and that can that can help you kind of focus throughout the week cuz you know it's going to be a sellout mm-hmm. crowd, you know those students and and the fans want to win that final game. Uh, but, you know, they, they, to me, it was mature. Like that, that, that is the word I would use to describe Texas's performance yesterday. It was a mature performance. And how, how long has it been since we described a Texas football team uh, with those words? And so the defense mm-hmm. is great. And that gives you an opportunity every week. Uh, the offense came out of the blocks really well. Jonathan Brooks, Mr. Texas football from back in the day, is starting to kind of emerge as a real true kind of number one running back. They obviously, Tavion Sanders is one, that one hand catch 
Like that, that looked stupid. fake. That looked like a video <laughs> yeah. game. I guess it that just happened does. in a video it's game. Um, that dude's hands, I mean, I don't even know what the size of them must be. Uh, but it, the football just sticks to them. Uh, but if the defense plays like that and you get the good Quinn Ewers. I was about to say he had you know, a great run, not, touchdown run. O- this Oklahoma Oklahoma is about the only team on, on the schedule that can match up talent-wise. If they show up sure. and they play like that every single week, I mean, Texas is the only thing that can stop Texas right now. Yeah, they look they look insane. Um, all of a sudden, a lot of these interesting games like Tech doesn't look very favorable right. for them at the end of the year. Uh, Kansas State, of course, is Kansas State. They'll be coached very well. Uh, Houston looks beatable. Can I mean, I guess Kansas. I mean, Kansas looks pretty good right now. Um, they're yeah. kind of clicking. So that's one. They have a Texas has kind of a two step with Kansas and Oklahoma in back to back weeks. Um, so that's probably. Honestly, if they get through that, obviously Kansas State's there too, and we'll see what TCU has. But talent-wise, like you mentioned, there's one team on the schedule, and it's Oklahoma. And I still don't think Oklahoma's looked that great um, to make me think that they're going to make up a 40-point gap that was last year. Um, So we'll see, though. Uh, This Texas team does look like they're just kind of handling business, and it looks like a kind of like a team that Bo Davis was hoping for last year. (laughs) Yeah, there's like a before and after the Bo Davis speech. Uh, in Texas, I was about to say that's going to be like program. a in retrospect if they go on to make the playoff or something that's going to be like a book it's like after Davis or something like that yeah. uh all right last one AM 27 Auburn 10 AM's SEC opener I mean a positive was Auburn's offense stinks and AM made him look <laughs> made it look like it stunk um, which again, with this, with DJ Durkin's defense has not always been the case. The bad news is it, Connor Wigman did not come off the field looking great when he limped to the locker room. He was very much uh, visibly limping in pain. Max Johnson finished the game, played well, seven of 11, 123, two touchdowns. Um, I think the one thing that I can say about this one is uh, if Max Johnson has to be the guy, I think Bobby Petrino's offense is able to put the skill talent around him to where he's able to kind of get the job done. Uh, last year, you looked at him, you're like, uh, what What are they doing here? Right. It's like, I, there's this offense is clunky. He's not a game breaker type of quarterback. So he's not going to necessarily push the ball. I think now he at least has a system to where he can put up numbers and not turn the ball over. Uh, Le'Veon Moss and uh, Mari Daniels look like uh, guys in the run game now. Like, I think everything else around the quarterback is better and more structured. So if Connor Wigman has to miss some time, I don't think AM season is done. I think their ceiling obviously is a lot lower, but uh, I think Bobby Petrino's raised this floor a little bit uh, from what it was last year. Last year, I would if this was last year, I would have said, yeah, they're winning four games again. Um, this year, I don't know if it's much of a guarantee, um, but Regardless, uh, still a huge, massive hit if Connor Wigman can't come back in a timely fashion. That's a good way to put it. I mean, I, I do think their upside isn't what it was uh, with Wigman in there. And, and just, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but watching the way he was walking and, and stuff, I, I have, I, yeah. I find it hard to believe he doesn't miss a, a couple weeks. Um, sure. You know, Which I, is unfortunate because, you know, you have, you have Oklahoma coming up or uh, Alabama coming up in two yeah, weeks. Yeah. It's Arkansas and then and then Alabama. I, I would be surprised if he played in either one of those games just by just right. his reaction and his facial, you know, reactions to it and just the way he was yeah. walking. And so, 
but I, you know, I think the, the, the thing with Texas A&M is they want to throw the football because they have Evan Stewart and Anaya Smith and Moose Muhammad and Noah Thomas, but their offensive line is much better at run blocking than they are at pass blocking. When, yeah. when A&M offensive line is allowed to go forward, they're pretty good. When they're asked to pass pro, like it gets ugly, and that's why Connor Wigman keeps getting hurt and stuff, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll talk about Texas Tech later. It's the same kind of issue or whatever. And so, when yeah. once Wigman went down, and they decided, hey, we're ahead of this game, we scored a couple quick, you know, passing touchdowns when when Johnson came in there. It was cool that his first passing touchdown was to Jake Johnson, his brother. That was kind of a yeah. cool, a cool moment. Uh, but once they had that lead, they just started running the football, and they averaged six point three yards a rush. I mean, they really came alive in the second half. They they started going downhill. And that's going to be the success. Like if they can be balanced, if they can make it more play action heavy, take it off Max Johnson. And then defensively, I don't know how much we can take from this game, right? Like I would love to be like, man, what a great defensive effort. A&M had 13 sacks all of last year. They had seven yesterday. Maybe they've turned the corner. Yeah. But I think that was more about Auburn. Like Auburn sucks. Like Auburn's not yeah, good. Yeah, I was about to say, that offense, that offense uh, is awful. Uh, um, and so like, not good. <laughs> I'm just not going to take any like huge takeaways from that game. Let's see what they do against Arkansas. Let's see what they do against Alabama. But you can't help but watch A&M and go like, holy crap, all that talent. Like, look at all of that talent. Like, they should be winning this football game. And then you look around the the rest of the SEC West and you go like, okay, well, nobody else is that good either. Um, and right. so, you know, A&M could easily win eight or nine games, even with their backup quarterback. One, because if they can run the football and the defense figures it out, and two, um, I mean, Ole Miss isn't great. You know, Alabama's solid, but not great. You know, Arkansas is not all that good. You know, Mississippi. So you, you start looking at that schedule and on paper, it looks worse than like what your eyes would tell you after four weeks. And so um, we'll see what A&M can do here. But I, I do think you're right. I think they're better equipped to handle having a backup quarterback than they would have, you know, before Petrino. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll be at AT&T if all goes according to plan next week when they play Arkansas. Um, Arkansas really struggled for three quarters against LSU. LSU, again, they're three and one, but I that week one against Florida State was really concerning for me. Um, we mentioned Auburn, Ole Miss. They're, they still, I don't know, they kind of struggle to hit their ceiling. Alabama, of course, we know their offensive situation. So, yeah, like you said, like there are still – it does still look like a, a division that's up for grabs. It could all play out and Bama still wins the division. Okay, cool. Um, but it looks far from a far from a sure thing. And I uh, just looked it up. Wigman's ne- uh, x-rays did come back negative, so yeah. that's a positive. Um, again, we'll see if if by the time the season's up, okay, cool. Like maybe a is back to full strength. Who knows? Uh, I do want to give a shout out to Torian York, who put on an insane game, 10 solo tackles in this one, uh, or sorry, 11, yeah, 11 total tackles, 10 solo tackles in this one. He was all over the field. That's ironically for as good as AM's defense has been in the past and the recruits they've gotten linebacker has always been a missing component for them going back to how uh, Harry, uh, Harry Hines, I believe who like they kind of missed on was like one of the highly touted guys coming out of uh, coming out of high school. Anthony Hines. And, yeah, Anthony Hines. Sorry, not Harry Hines. Anthony Hines. Um, since then, they haven't had, like, including him, they haven't had that, like, game-breaking linebacker. So for Tory and York to kind of emerge as a freshman and have this kind of rangy tackling ability, I'm going to count that as a win for this defense. Because, um, again, they had just haven't had somebody like that. It's always been defensive line, and then you kind of skip the second level, go to the secondary. So uh, that could be a potential uh, big plus for them. All right. Let's get into the reverse power pull order here. Just recently updated. Uh, I mean, oof, let's start uh, near the bottom. 
I mean, at the bottom, uh, UNLV 45, UTEP 28. I mean, I don't know what else you, I don't know what you really want to talk about here. UTEP is, uh, I think in trouble because UNLV, mm-hmm. uh, they're not that great. Um, I mean, again, they're three and one. So like, I want to give some credit to UNLV, but UTEP should not be getting beat 45 to 28. And this game wasn't like, I don't know. I, this game, they kind of hung around a little bit and then just the floodgates opened in the fourth quarter. They gave up 17, I think, in the fourth quarter. And yeah, I mean, I like uh, Brennan Marion, who's the offensive coordinator there, but he didn't exactly have the offense clicking for the full game and they still lost by almost 20. <laughs> yeah, I mean, usually UTEP isn't the greatest team in the world, but their run defense is pretty good. Like you can count on the minors to stop the run. UNLV ran for over 300 yards against them. And that was the first time that's happened against the minors since 2019, since they were like a winless football team. Right. So like since Dimble's been able to quote unquote, turn the corner, um, they've been good against the run. They were missing some guys, um, you know, they've already played. That was their fifth game. Mm -hmm. Right. Like Mm -hmm. they, they've played more football than the rest of these teams. Um, so I think they're starting to hit a little bit of a wall there. The other teams have a lot more tape on them. Uh, but I just think that they got worn down by UNLV and, and just could not stop the run. Um, they allowed 6.4 yards of carry and six touchdowns on the ground. UNLV ran the ball 48 times. Like you can tell that's what Marion kind of, you know, hey, this is what we're going to do today, right? We're just going to run mm-hmm. the football down, down UTEP's throat. Um, all of a sudden, you know, they played a Friday, they start conference player, they continue conference play because they played week zero, a conference conference game lost to Jack State. They played Friday against Law Tech. Uh, they will be halfway through their season by the end of this month. That's crazy. That's crazy, that's, yeah. That's, that's absolutely insane, you know? And so it almost feels like a must-win game on Friday against Law Tech. I mean, if you're two and four and you have the conference in front of you, maybe you can get to, to six wins. If you're one and five, I mean, that, that's pretty much it, right, on the season. Then you got to worry about keeping the locker room and the wheels falling completely off. And so uh, it feels like a big week for the Miners. Um, they're going to have to figure something out because uh, they can't win unless the defense is really good. Yeah, uh, from Colin Deaver, um, no Tyron Smith, Stephen Hubbard, Trajan Hoog, uh, Mike Franklin, Trez Moore, right? Uh, Deion Hankins, I think, only had three carries, so he looked limited. Like you mentioned, they've played a lot more football or at least one full game of football more than everybody else. And now they head into a, a short week. Um, so whether or not it's injury, unfortunately for Deion Hankins, it looked like he was kind of turning a corner, uh, really getting the run game going for them. It made Gavin Hardison kind of have to throw the ball, ends up with three picks, uh, just a, just under 50% completion. So, yeah, uh, really, really tough stretch for them going forward. Uh, well, it's also like UTEP is a team that's not going to put up like 25 plus points a game right and UNLV is averaging 40 points a game so it's like we knew kind of going into this game that they were gonna have to put up a lot and just not possible yep all righty uh let's go with Sam Houston number 12 we'll rope Houston here at number seven in here Houston 38 Sam Houston seven um I had a small I like a I had a a small news um uh notification uh text from me saying hey Grant Gannell's gonna start and I was like 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 literally like a, a second before the game started and i was like i was like oh is he like i was i was kind of i was trying to i was trying to double source it just to see and then sure enough grant Canel goes out there hey look there i get I, I get it right i texted Corey, and he was like i think that's a, a little bit of a pressure move from casey keeler uh the offense is just just looked 
awful <laughs> and that's not on Keegan Shoemake, but that's that's also one of the only moves you can make to kind of mm-hmm. get something going. Um again, he it, it, you see you saw the score. <laughs> uh it wasn't there was only so much he could do against uh Houston defense that's looked pretty good this year. Uh he finished 14 and 23, 100 yards, two picks. Uh, they took the lead. Trapper Parnell uh, had a quarterback power at the goal line. They had that early lead, and then that was kind of it. Um, I will say I'm going to give probably more credit to Houston here. Um, this was an offense that I thought would really struggle against this defense, and they were able to move the ball. Sam Houston's defense has been the strength of them, legitimate strength of them all year so far. And Houston, kind of, it was one of those games where – it reminded me, you, do you remember? It might have been like 20, I can't remember exactly what year it was, but that UTSA UIW year where like UIW was coming off Eric Morris's first year when they made the playoff. And it was like, oh man, could UIW knock off? And then UTSA just blows them out by, I think it was like Frank Wilson's second or third year. It was like one of those games where you're like, oh no, one team just has better guys, right? As much as you like what the other team's doing and you want to say you could talk yourself to an upset or a close game. Houston just has better guys than Sam Houston. So um, I think for Houston, this is a game that a performance they kind of needed just to be like, hey, look, what if we just had a game where we just out-athlete, out-muscle, and just mush a team? And that's kind of what they did. Yeah, on the Sam Houston side, they just don't have the offensive line to block anybody. You know, that, that's that been the biggest deal. Like, I mean, their quarterbacks aren't great. Uh, their running backs aren't like, you know, superstars or anything like that. But I don't think the difference between Shoemaker and Gunnell is that big of a difference because you're, you're not going to be able to block these power five offensive lines. And, and Sam Houston's right. had a brutal start of the schedule. I mean, Air Force is a team that, that kicked the crap out of Baylor in a bowl game. You know, BYU looks pretty decent. Houston's you know, a solid play, team. You know, Sam Houston's played more B, more Big 12 teams than the Big 12 teams have. <laughs> right, right. I mean, they, they played a pretty tough schedule because they had to make this schedule late. And most teams are already taken and they just, you know, had to put it together. They're trying to make some money and trying to, trying to you know, get some get some paid games, obviously, and, and come up to the FBS level. But the universal truth between the FCS and the FBS is size. And Sam Houston mm-hmm. just does not have the size. Um, to to block defensive lines that that look like Houston, you know they play Jack State next week to kind of start Conference USA play. So we'll get a better idea. I, I think so for a lot of these teams, like you have to get into conference before you start making mm-hmm. these judgments because they're just they're lambs to slaughter, right? That's that's the point of the non-conference for a lot of these P5 teams is to play teams like Sam Houston to get those wins to get towards bowl eligibility and then and then get into the meta to to the meta conference play. Um, for me, this was also about Houston. Like I, I really, Parker Jenkins emerging a, as a legit running back in that, that offense is, is big for Houston because what mm-hmm. they've lacked, um, since Alton McCaskill got injured, to be honest with you, is balance. Like they have turned into like a mostly passing team for the last year and a half. And that's not what Dana Holgerson wants it to be. That's not what their mm-hmm. offensive line it, It's again, it's one of those offensive lines. That is good when you can move forward and not make it to where they're just in pass pro all day long. It keeps the defense honest. It makes things easier for them. Um, you know, they ran the ball 37 times. Jenkins had 20 carries for 105 yards, three touchdowns. The first true freshman to do that since Alton McCaskill a few years ago. And so if that's a sign of things to come, because that Sam Houston defense you know, was the FBS leader in scoring defense and in passing defense uh, coming into the to the week. And so uh, if they can be balanced, if that can allow Donovan Smith to not be a guy that throws it, you know, a thousand times a game, he ended up throwing it 40 times, but he had all the success in the world. And I, I think the balance is going to be huge for Houston. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I think, uh, I think Donovan Smith also had one of his better games. Let me see. What was it? 31 to 40, almost 300 yeah. yards passing again. I don't want it again against other competition. He may not have to throw that much, but if you're able to stretch the field with guys like Matthew golden, who had almost hundred yards receiving um, and just have him utilize those weapons in absence of tank Dell, um, I'd say go for it. So definitely a big confidence booster for, for Houston going forward. Okay. Uh, let's move on to, uh, let's see, Baylor. We already talked about them. All right. Uh, let's talk about it. Texas tech, West Virginia, 20 Texas tech, 13, um, of course the big news here, Tyler Shuck, mm-hmm. uh, we mentioned offensive lines, uh, Tyler Shuck, very likely season's over, uh, Bruce Feldman reports a broken fibula, uh, Jordan Schultz was also on that one pretty early. He'll reportedly need surgery. Um, McGuire hasn't confirmed it, but of course Feldman is pretty a plus when it comes to that. I mean, look, even take Shuck out. And takes Shuck, Shuck's injury out. I think you would have said last year, okay, Shuck's hurt. Baron Morton comes in. Okay, cool. Tech's still in good shape, right? You would theoretically say that. I am starting to wonder if this is if if Zach Kitley's calling the offense that he wants to call, because it does not, and the offensive line does not help. Don't get me wrong. The play calling does not look like the offense that he was running at Western Kentucky. Maybe that's a Bailey zappy thing. Maybe Um, it it just looks too stagnant. It looks too uninventive. The, the only positive I came from this game was that they finally used Tosh Brooks a ton, (laughs) Uh, 25 carries for 149 yards. Um, But yes, if we're talking about adjusting expectations with some teams, tech has to be at the, at the top of that list. They can't pass block. The the idea yeah. that moving your left tackle to right tackle and your right tackle to left tackle was going to solve the pass blocking issues that you have just it's not it's just not going to work. Um, you know it's why they've had to play so many quarterbacks during that tenure. It's why that offense doesn't look like the one you saw at Houston Baptist or at Western Kentucky. They they can't block anybody long enough to to develop those routes that uh, cause defenses problems and and allow offenses to put up a thousand yards a game and all that stuff that we saw from 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 kitley and so um they're they're playing with one hand behind their back and when you go on the road that's when you need that offensive line to play really well and to control the game and, and to be good in pass protection as things get loud they're one and six on the road like their only win on the road was a 14 10 win at iowa state you know and that wasn't a very pretty performance right that was probably more about iowa state being really bad towards the end of the year last year and so um they have to fix the road issues i don't know what that is if that's a mental thing if that's a schematic thing if that's you know a routine deal or what they're going to have to fix but they're going to have to figure that out they've been pretty good at home um, but that offensive line uh makes it to where i mean you're you're playing russian roulette back there with your quarterbacks and you know tyler shuck credit to him for being as tough as he is i mean he played a ne- another snap with that damn fibula being broken right like if that is yeah, true man. that he broke his fibula he played another snap with that i mean he's he's dislocated two shoulders the back back to back years that offensive line isn't good it's not going to get good this year. Like they're just going to have to figure out how to band-aid it and try to get to six wins. But you know, this team went from a dark horse Big Twelve candidate that maybe we thought would take a big step forward to oh yeah, this is just year two, and if they can get to six wins, that would be big. Because Tech hadn't gone to consecutive bowl games in a while, right? And so mm-hmm. you know, we this is still Texas Tech, and they they still have a lot to overcome. They still have that same kind of roster 
They haven't been completely portal heavy. It's not like McGuire went in there, kicked out 60 players and brought in a, a new 60. Like they're still kind of rotating through the, that old roster and they're still just, there's just holes there that they haven't been able to fill yet. Yep. Uh, these next two games are going to be really telling for them because they host Houston and then they're at Baylor. So we're about to make some conclusions one way or another about this Texas Tech team. That Texas Tech at Baylor uh, crowd. Hmm. Oh, wait, it looks like you froze. Oh, sorry. I was saying that 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 tech that tech at Baylor crowd could be tiny. That could be a tiny crowd. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. Baylor's going to be pretty dejected, and then Tech's not going to want to go down there. So, yeah. <laughs> oh man, Hell, we might take the staff there. It might make up make up most of the crowd. Um, He's probably get a sweep. All right, <laughs> probably. Yeah, that's probably. Uh, all right, North Texas was off. They host ACU this weekend. Uh, all right, UTSA. Look, I said before this game kicked, or last week during last week's recap episode. I was like, Frank Harris did not play against Army. And if I'm Jeff Trailer, he will not play against Tennessee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sure enough, Frank Harris did not play against Tennessee. Um, yeah, I, I think Trailer said after the game, if they needed him, like in terms of this was the conference championship, that he could have played. But smartly, <laughs> he said, you know what? We're going to Knoxville. We do not have the roster. We don't have the juice right now to compete with this, to go in here and expect an upset. Sorry, Eddie Lee Marburger. <laughs> You just gotta, <laughs> you just gotta take some lumps real quick, and then uh, the I, I say the the optimistic part is Owen McCown looked pretty good. Like if Frank Harris is, if this is a thing going forward, or Frank Harris is gonna have to, you know, kind of pain tolerance his way through the season and miss maybe another game or two. Owen McCown looked pretty good against the Tennessee defense on the uh, uh, freshman, I guess technically a sophomore. Uh, in Knoxville, 18 to 20, 180, 170 through the air, two touchdowns, one pick. Like uh, again, on, against other opponents, Cavoy and Barnes will have a better game, so we wouldn't have to, so he'll have less pressure on him. I think I think we might see a shifting of the backup quarterback situation here. Um again, Owen McCown was a power five quarterback. He went to Colorado. Uh he was part of that purge from Dion. So again, not much to take out of this. T- UTSA's hobbles. Uh, this offense wasn't obviously what it was. Uh, it wasn't healthy. Uh, I believe JT Clark as well didn't play. So again, there's only so much you can do. But I was kind of impressed with Owen McCown, and they may have a little bit more of a secure band aid if they need to pull it um, with the quarterback position. You know, things have been going well when you get blown out at Tennessee and you lose at Houston and, you know, you you lose to a sneaky Army team that you barely beat last year in overtime and, like, the sky is falling before conference play even begins at, at UTSA. Like, you know, best case was probably two and two. You know, that's what that schedule right. is, right? You go you go to, you know, two Power 5 schools, you host Army, you know, you play Texas State at home, you win that game, Texas State looks pretty good. I mean, one and three is not awful, right? Like, I think for, for the Roadrunners – um, Jeff Trailer still looks at this stuff like the way a high school coach would. You know, there's there's non-district and then there's district. district. And, like, you'd like to win all those non-district games if you could, but really that's to prepare you for district. And, and you go and you win that district championship, and, and people don't care too much that you lost at Tennessee or lost, lost at Houston. Um, you know, I, for me, this is all about, like, if Frank Harris can get healthy, UTSA has an opportunity to, to rebound, get, get off this bye week next week, and, and go and make a run. And the American, if Frank Harris isn't healthy, then UTSA fans, you got to adjust 
your expectation. Um, and then, you know, yeah. then it's just about getting to seven, eight wins and, and trying to be a good quality uh, football team there. And so uh, maybe this bye week kind of gets people right. JT Clark, Frank Harris, some of those offensive linemen, you know, get defense figured out. Now, the good news for UTSA is you're not going to see whatever the hell Army was running again. Uh-uh. And you're not going to see <laughs> Joe Milton throwing the ball 98 miles per hour at you again, right? You're not going to have SEC offensive linemen blocking you and all that kind of stuff. And so, it's going to get better. Like with SMU, yeah. we were talking about earlier, it's going to get better. UTSA has kind of done this song and dance the last two years where it's like, oh, are they really as good as we thought they were? And then they get into conference play and they, they're good comparative to who they're playing against. Um, and so we'll see if that holds true again in 2023. Yeah, uh, they get a nice on-ramp to their conference schedule as well. I believe they get Temple to open. Uh, then UAB, who hasn't looked very good. Uh, FAU, of course, we'll see what they are. They're one and three, but they've played some pretty tough competition too. So, yeah, like you said, bye week and then a pretty more measurable uh, conference slate to start. Okay, I mean, they Houston, should be favored. About... They should be favored in the next. They should be favored in the next seven. Yeah, yeah, honestly, like in, until until Tulane, like if, if Frank's healthy, until Tulane, sure, they sure. should be the favorite in every single game until the last game of the season. Like they don't play. Know, they don't play SMU, right? No, no, okay. no. So if they go, if they go into the last week, if they're if they're nine and two, uh, or nine yeah. or eight and three going into the last week of the season with the chance to go play in a conference championship game, like that's a win. And if and it, I'll say this as a UTSA, if that if this has become where that's not a win, my God, guys, yeah. like let's calm the right. hell down. Like what are what are we doing here? Right, hundred percent. All right, uh, let's see. Talked about Houston. Uh, all right, let's talk about. I mean, Rice. USF 42, Rice 29. Um, look, if you would have told me Rice had a game where JT Daniels throws for 400 yards, <laughs> no picks, and three touchdowns, and they lose by double digits, <laughs> I'm like, did they play Georgia? I don't, I don't know what other, I don't know. Mike Bloomkin has to just absolutely hate this loss because for most of his tenure, the defense has been so reliable in just keeping things honest. And it's always been the offense that struggled to push the ball. And then all of a sudden they give up almost 30 points in the second half to USF after this game is like, they're up. Yeah. They're up they're 14, 13 at the half. And then they just get the defense just gets boat raced in the second half. And it's, they like, were up. Oh. They were up at the end of the third quarter. It was just the fourth quarter. I mean, like they had it all the way up until the fourth quarter. Yeah. And Again, USF. That, that's also frustrating. Is that, again, it's not, it's not, it's not SMU, right? It's a USF, right? Who, I mean, I guess you could say looks better. They handled Bama and the weather last week decently, but like, still, they're not a historically a really good program. This is one of the teams that you would expect to kind of, you know, try to steal one from as the new team in the AAC. AAC. But yeah, um, there was one run. I think it was one of the running touchdowns from like the thirty in the the second quarter before the defense really started giving where they just like missed like three arm tackles. And I was like, oh, what's happening guys. I don't know. What's, I don't know. That's a frustrating loss for rice, especially a team that's kind of been rolling um, to start the year and kind of showing the better half of what we thought they could be. Kind of felt like that Charlotte game last year where, you know, mm, good, it felt like right. Rice had a bunch of momentum and now you got to go on the road to the East coast and play a, a team that, you know, you're favored against on the road as a road favorite. And it's like, let's see what the owls are. And the defense couldn't hold up in that game. Um, and, and then you go and, and this one, you know, the secondary has quietly been pretty bad the last couple of years, like mm-hmm. just in terms of, of statistical analysis or whatever. 
they allowed one wide receiver to have 272 yards of receiving like one one guy you know and so uh, they just had no answers late uh, late for that um that's a that's a tough loss because you go and you win that game and it feels like bowl eligibility bowl eligibility is like within your grasp you know like you're you're rolling at that point uh, now it's back to the drawing board defensively. And that, that's what Rice is going to deal with the rest of the year. Like teams are going to try to throw the ball around the yard on, on this team and try to get them into shootouts. It's going to be up to that secondary to figure it out. Yep. Um, positives for Rice. <clears throat> we were kind of wondering what who JT Daniels was going to find outside of Luke McCaffrey. Uh, Dean Connors as a running back, a wide receiving option has been really, really good. He had a long touchdown in this one. I believe he's almost 200 yards on the year receiving and Braylon Walker freshman out of Louisiana. He's proven to be kind of, he's kind of showing himself to be a little bit of an emerging target. So again, that's some of the positives, but of course you, your quarterback throws for 400 yards, three touchdowns. You want to win that game regardless. Well, well I think he got hurt next... too. I think Daisy yeah, Daniels was... got hurt. He did. Yeah. He did. Padgett had to come in. He yeah. threw he threw 10 passes towards the end of the game and it kind of kept him from staying in that shootout. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. the concern for Rice is, you know, their hashtag intellectual brutality. Like this is a former they Stanford coach. The ball. Mike Bloomgren wants to run the ball. Uh, they had 20 carries for one yard. Yeah. Mm. So that's got to get you're mm. not you're not that because that's how your defense gets gassed. And gives up forty two sure. points because you you can't you can't sustain anything like you know it, it's sure. you're either scoring or you're going three and out punting the ball and the defense is back on the field so they have to get back to their roots a little bit especially if JT is not going to be healthy for a week a couple weeks. Yep, I think let's see our guys at the roost said Bloomgren said JT Janis has a lower back lower body injury. Uh, he told us in the locker room he's going to be okay. Tried to get him ready to go back in. It just didn't work out for today. Um, I'm confident we'll have him back sooner than later. So uh, hopefully nothing serious. Um, so, yeah, because JT Daniels has really been – I mean, he's lived up to the hype so far for them. Yeah, he's been uh, good. Yep. All right, let's go with – let's see, we talked to SMU. All right, let's talk – look, let's talk to Texas State. Um, I think this is the last team. In, yeah. Um, 30, the floor is Texas yours. State 35. Texas State 35, Nevada, Nevada 17. Yes, they're down 17 nothing, and everything was going wrong for this team. This is I put in this I put in the Slack chat. This is the game that I've seen so many times, where it's like penalties that keep drive going, fumbles that bounce back to the off to the to, to Nevada in this case, um, bad defensive uh, holding penalties or defensive pass interference that negates interceptions, and it was like okay, what what's happening here? Uh, they put, they had the ball, I think, three, two or three times in Nevada territory and failed to convert fourth downs. I think they're 0 for 2, 0 for 3 on fourth downs. It was like, okay. And then apparently a band kid decided to have uh, <laughs> grab a trident from <laughs> Nevada. Uh, and no joke, 35 unanswered after that kid gets kicked out of the game. So, um, by the way, yes, that is not a joke, apparently. So, I do want to clarify uh, a lot. A lot of things went viral yesterday from this game. Uh, the The initial report was that a band kid threw, quote unquote, threw a trident, and yes, that like actually the Poseidon thing. <laughs> um, apparently, Nevada has a turnover trident, and so that's where that came from. I thought somebody somehow got a trident into the stadium. Anyway, regardless, what actually apparently what actually happened was a band kid was walking along. And he saw it on the ground. The student section was saying, give us the trident. He picks it up. 
hands it to the student section, and then it kind of caught a fracas. The Nevada sideline kind of got into a yelling match. Band kid gets kicked out, uh, and then Texas Day rolls off 35 and answered. But the cooler story is that he threw a trident and then <laughs> it mounted a comeback. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. Look, I was looking, watching this game ready to kind of not bench TJ Finley, but again, if they can't protect him and he's not able to elude pressure, try something else. And he finishes 25 or 31, almost 300 yards, two touchdowns. Like, to me, and I tweeted this out, the story in this one was Ismail Mahdi. Two, 216 care, uh, yards on 21 carries. The, uh, where did this guy come from? He was at Houston Christian last year, Plano East in high school, ran a 10-6 yard dash at Plano East, and he somehow fell to the FCS level. I think it was, I personally think it was a COVID casualty. It was. And he's been their best offensive player besides TJ Finley so far this year. A stud, absolute stud. So that was the most impressive win so far of the GJ Kinney era. I, I'm including the win at Baylor. Um, yes. No, Baylor looks again, bad right now. So. Well, yeah, what Baylor looks bad, and you can explain that one away of new head coach, new system. They go into sure. Waco, they shock a team that didn't take them that seriously. Upsets happen in college football all the time. Uh, but this sure, is a game won. that Texas yeah. – yeah, this is a game that Texas State used to not only lose but get blown the F out if they mm-hmm. were down 17 nothing at halftime. They would go – everybody in the stadium would go to the square, and everybody on the field would go into their hole, and Texas State would lose this mm-hmm. game 42-7. to And instead – they come out and roll off 35 straight to not only win this game, but to win it going away. Like I got to turn it off with like six minutes left and start right, writing my right. Baylor, Texas story because it was over. Um, yep. Just an absolute incredible performance uh, by the football team, by the coaching staff, by everybody involved like that. That is how you change a culture. That's how you change a program from the inside. It's not against, it's not with a win against Baylor. It's when everything is going bad. You get back into the locker room and you go, guys, we're good enough to erase this 17-point lead. And they did it in one freaking quarter. Uh-huh. They didn't even need uh-huh. the 30 minutes to do it. And so uh, if you're a Texas State fan, you should be floating on air right now because this is a this is a, this is the good time. So you could you could feel it as a UTSA fan, I could feel it when trailer was starting to turn it around. You're like, oh, okay, we're entering something that's gonna be pretty fun and cool. Enjoy uh-huh. it because at the G5 level. It's a limited window. Somebody's going to come buy your guy. You, you know, yep. I would I would advise Texas State fans to take that same path here. Enjoy what's sure. going to happen for as long as this is going to happen because it's going to get good in San Marcos for the first time in a long time. Um, and just smile and have a lot of fun with it because this team, all of a sudden, I mean, they could they could make some noise in the Sun Belt. I was about to say, uh, I believe this is the first three and one start since 1997. Um, That's let's see. Insane. First time back to which is okay and crazy, right? Uh, largest comeback in the FBS, uh, 17, 17 points. And let me see, I'm trying to think. Uh, I got one you for you. About go, go for it. Okay, there are four teams in the state of Texas with three or more wins Texas AM, TCU, your Texas State Bobcats. That's crazy. What an elite yeah. category to be a part of. That is uh, like again. Look, I I'm I'm very much here for enjoying the ride. Um, even when they were down seventeen nothing, I was like, I wasn't say I was doom and gloom, but I was like, okay, the 
the honeymoon, right? The period, I still think this is a rebuild, right? This might not be, this might be like you mentioned, a great year for the Sunbelt, uh, for a great run in the Sunbelt. But I was also like very wary that a come to come to ground moment is happening, whether it happens in conference or whatever. Um, and so I was like, I wouldn't have been the skies falling if they lost this game, but I would have been like, you know what? They were due for something, right? They were due for like a little bit of a reality check. The fact that they won this, like you mentioned, now it's like, I don't know what's going on. Um, GJ Kenny talked about uh, Mahdi wasn't healthy during the spring. So they didn't really know what they had, right? They bring in, they have Jamil Jeter, they have Calvin Hill, they have uh, Lincoln Perry. So it's like, okay, cool. He's going to be like the fourth back. Uh, Denario Davenport came in from, they have like five running backs, which is crazy. Um, was coming in from Juco. So it was like, okay. And he's turned into the premier back again. Uh, shout out, shout out Plano East, shout out Houston Christian. Cause Houston Christian, that staff was able to just like scout this guy and say, oh, this guy runs a almost a 10, almost a 10, 500 yard dash. Yeah, no, get over here. We will find a spot for you because that's power five speed right there legitimately. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's had some game breaking plays and this was kind of his big breakout moment. So I'm um, trying to think uh, what else do they have for uh, next week. They have Southern Miss in their Sunbelt opener. Again, looks like a winnable game. Um, Southern Miss isn't a juggernaut by any means. Uh, they lost their first conference game. And I think they have their bye week after that. No, they don't have their bye week for a, for a bit. So um, they'll be playing some, some football for a while. But regardless, we'll see where it goes. Uh, that'll do it, though, for the power poll. Uh, it's A&M, TCU, and Texas rounding it out. Uh, yeah, we're about to, I mean, we're finally getting some conclusions. And not conclusions, but really some in-depth uh, feels for all this team like you mentioned we're already four games in five games in for utep and i mean look th- this is going to be a crazy season i can already tell uh right now the only constant seemed to be that texas looked really good everything else uh mm-hmm. we'll see <laughs> yeah it's about where i'm at with it as well i know i know texas is good i know a couple teams that are bad um, and I think there's a whole lot in the middle that we're, we're starting to figure out. It's a, it's a, I mean, I think we could say it, it's kind of a down year at the, at the power five level. Uh, I think Texas is like a transition only, type of year almost. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, TCU could, could maybe make a run and, and surprise us there, but it's definitely a down year at the power five level, but there's a, a lot of good teams at the G five level, um, with some intriguing storylines that now that they're out of non-conference, I think we'll start to play better in, in conference play. Yep, definitely. All righty. So we'll be back on Wednesday with another preview episode. And then we'll be back. Uh, trying to think, where are you at, Craven, this weekend? Uh, I am at Sam Houston Jack State. And that is a Thursday game in Huntsville. Uh, and then right. I will come back to Austin and go to Texas and Kansas on Saturday. So uh, a, a twofer oh. in week five. Nice. Gotcha, gotcha. Nice. Yeah, I'll, uh, all goes according to plan. I'll be at AT&T for their uh, classic between uh, A&M and Arkansas. So, yeah, we'll preview all those games on Wednesday, and then we'll be back. Oh, go ahead, Graven. Have you ever covered a non-high school game at AT&T Stadium? No. That's going to be very weird. The spread in the press box is much different. Uh, you have, <laughs> oh, it's not a prime, con- concession a prime, food? No, you don't have to pay for it. It's not. I was going to say concessions, but you have to pay for. <laughs> yeah, it is. Pri- it is prime rib. Okay, I will take that. I'll gladly awesome. take that. 
Okay. So uh, you get the Cowboys we'll spread for the AM Arkansas game because Jerry's, you know, an Arkansas guy. So oh, they of course, bring, yeah, out, they bring it all place. out for the yeah, yeah, it's a good time. It's a good time. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So go check out textfootball.com. Craven has his three thoughts from Waco. Carter has his three thoughts from the Iron Skillet. Our intern, Naomi Brown, has her three thoughts from College Station. She will be also on hand for the uh, AT&T um, if all goes according to plan. So, yeah, make sure to follow her, by the way. Uh, she's putting in good work from College Station. She's She'll be at every home game uh, for us the rest of the season. And uh, Craven's 411 is up now as well, as well as the power pole. And then Corey's four downs uh, covering the non-FBS is up right now as well. Please keep it locked to TexasFootball.com. Please subscribe. If you're not, uh, if you guys noticed, I put out a big feature uh, with the Texas State President Kelly Danfus last week. We're going to be doing more behind the scenes paywall stuff for subscribers. So if you want to get more access to that, right? please subscribe because those are things that we're able to kind of leverage and get access to. And we kind of value our, our brand and our talents to be able to do that kind of stuff. So we want to be able to do more of that, more of that stuff and people subscribing helps us convince people uh, elsewhere that we can and are able to do that stuff very well. So please subscribe techsobo.com. Uh Jimbo Fisher, give us a call. Uh, we have some thoughts on some things you're doing well on offense, and we just want to give you some encouraging uh, thoughts. Rutgers, sorry, uh, first loss of the year, 31-7 to Michigan, but they did uh, score first. Rutgers scored. They first did score like first, so they were they did have a lead on Michigan. So how many teams can say that? <laughs> uh, we'll talk to you guys on Wednesday. <laughs>